0: they can become unbelievably good because what they learn is the goal is not stage presence and pizzazz. The goal is messaging that has a robust intellectual architecture.
1: Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey. And you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. Tim Pollock, welcome to the show. Eric, thank you. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Yeah, this is going to be fascinating. I was just telling you previous to recording, I'm really looking forward to the topics that we're <laughs> going to dig into today because I know I'm going to learn a lot and it's so valuable for anybody who, well, anybody who wants to communicate with other people, right? So yeah. uh, we'll, stroke, we'll have a broad stroke on that. And Tim, I know you obviously, um, you know, eradium and what you do, you're, you're an expert in communications and people can look you up on LinkedIn and at your website. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll put all those in the show notes, but maybe give us your story. How did you get to be you know, really focused on effective communications and, and where you are now?
0: Um, that's actually a very interesting question. Uh, se- f- several years ago and for several years, I worked um, in different forms of consulting. And one of the things uh, I was tasked with for a long time was building presentations of research findings for corporate executives. Um, but the particular way we did that was very unusual. These were eight-hour presentations. These were full-day meetings of you know 8 o'clock till 5 o'clock. And if you think about it, to try and communicate or present for eight hours violates all known rules of communication because you've been told, well, you can't hold someone's attention for more than 30 minutes. And But we figured out how to do it. And in doing so, what I, what that began for me was a journey to really understand Why does communication work when it works and why does it fail when it fails? And what I ended up concluding, which then became the core of my professional life and then the company that I built, is that communication is ultimately all about the brain. Um, The brain wants and needs to consume information in a certain way. And if you align with the way the brain works, you can create spectacular communications. You can present for seven or eight hours and keep people absolutely... Engage. But if you misalign with the way the brain works, for example, with a dense PowerPoint, you can lose them within 30 seconds. Right. So the, mis- the mistake we tend to make is oh, you know, people can't focus, they can't concentrate, just, you know, talk to them for 10 minutes. Like, no, figure out how the brain works and communicate in a way that aligns with that. And you can be unbelievably successful. And not simply in holding their attention, that's just the beginning, in getting persuasion and getting donors to donate or customers to buy or reluctant teams to rally I mean it's a crucial skill for leaders we most people communicate badly but you can be spectacularly successful if you actually understand the true rules but the problem is most people don't understand them so so that was my journey and it became this this company which consults to um, basically to corporations on both executive communications, but primarily on their sales communications.
1: Oh, interesting. So I'm Tim, I'm the kind of guy who likes to learn through maybe an example or a story. Can you give us maybe something, you know, that's uh, easily digestible about how you took someone who or a company or a person who's communicating ineffectively and, and kind of maybe the shifts and <laughs> work you did with them to have them uh, deliver more effective messaging.
0: Um, Uh, let me meet you in the middle. I'll give you a great story. It's not specifically about something we did, but it illustrates arguably the single most important thing you want to know about communication. So several years ago, um, I was speaking at a very large conference. It was a financial services company, very well known. Their CEO is very, very well known. I I won't give you his name. And I'd spoken in the afternoon. And uh, I was going to leave and, and the, the, the guys I was working with said, well, stick around. Uh, I talked about executive communications and, and he said, stick around because this famous CEO is going to do the big closing keynote. This was the company's leadership conference. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so I stuck around. And what's really interesting is, is this presentation uh, that, that this guy did at the end was breathtakingly good from the standpoint of traditional thinking. He was meant to speak for 30 minutes. He spoke for 30 minutes. He um, he had the eye contact of a peregrine falcon. You know, he had the body language yeah. of Kramer from Seinfeld. He's funny. He's witty. He's working the room. He's not nervous in any way. All the things you've been told to get right. And he doesn't have 100 slides. He has one slide, which was his topic, which stayed up the whole time. And his slide was simply this, and this was what was on his slide. The 10 things we've got to get right this year. I remember this incredibly clearly. The 10 things we've got to get right this year. And he walked through them effortlessly. He was perfectly articulate, good language, clarity, flow, that kind of stuff. But the one thing I noticed is there was no logical narrative to the 10. They were 10 intellectually independent ideas. They were individually brilliant, but they were not intellectually connected into a narrative. And what I know Back to my point about it's all about the brain. Is the brain does very badly with random information, where it does very well with a logical story or a flow. Hmm. And um, what's really interesting is, so that this presentation ends and the crowd just erupts. I mean, it was cult like. I mean, well, let's call him Jonathan. It's not his name. And said, like, "Oh, Jonathan, Jonathan, you're so amazing, you're so amazing." People are throwing <laughs> underwear and flowers. I mean, it was a little. I'm honestly, it was a little cult like, Eric. And um, um. And anyway, then, then the meeting ended, and I was sat at the back and near some guys. And, um, and so anyway, the, the MC comes up. He's not going to try and top this. So he just uh, he says, thanks very much. See you next year. And everyone starts to leave. Well, I grabbed a couple of guys I'd been sat near. And I said, what did you think? And they're like, oh, Jonathan, Jonathan. They're like putting their underwear back on. I'm like, I have some dignity, guys. And so they clearly loved this. And, and I said, uh, yeah, wonderful, very engaging. Um, can I ask you a question? You know the question I'm going to ask, right? I said, How many of the 10 things can you name? Yeah. And they got two, three different people. They got two of the 10. And that is an unbelievable lesson for us in, in communications. Here's a guy who is getting literally everything right that you ever been told you need to get right. Be funny, have no nerves, good eye contact, body language, all of that garbage everything you've been told on every traditional presentation skills course he's gotten right and he's been fundamentally ineffective as a communi- as a communicator because and here's the teaching from that story he didn't understand how the brain consumes information and how badly the brain does with information that's not arranged into a logical narrative flow and this happens all day every day from every leader in the world, bulleted PowerPoint slides, lots of bullets, no narrative, and everything you're saying is being forgotten. But I want you to see the paradox. He's doing everything right that you've been told to do. And what that means is most of what we know about, what we think we know about communication is actually wrong. For example, that example proves that delivery is not what you've got to get right. Message architecture is what you've got to get right he got absolutely everything right in theory from a sort of delivery standpoint but he was a complete failure from an actual transfer of information standpoint um it's actually funny because i always ask if i've ever used that example in a class i'll always say do you think the audience would have rated the session highly and of course the answer is yes why? They didn't learn anything. And the answer is, by the way, audiences evaluate speakers based on how entertained they felt, right. not based on what they learned. So, in other words, you have a system that's completely self reinforcing. He thinks he's a brilliant communicator. Everyone tells him he's a brilliant communicator. He's a lousy communicator because he doesn't understand the fundamental rules. In this case, that you have to architect a message based on how the brain learns, not focus on the physicality of delivery. And that story is literally page one of of the the first book I wrote on communication, which is most of what we think we know about communication is wrong. And and you can actually take somebody who's far more average along those dimensions of eye contact and body language and humor. But if they architect a message well, it'll be spectacularly successful, which, by the way, puts world-class communications within reach of almost anyone. Because it's not about stage presence or natural gifting. It's about intellectual architecture of the message. And that can be learned because that's a bunch of tools and processes. So I love working with our clients. You take people who say, I'm not a very good communicator, they can become unbelievably good because what they learn is the goal is not stage presence and pizzazz. The goal, is messaging that has a robust intellectual architecture so long answer to a short question
1: oh it's great well it, my mind automatically drifts to most people when they let's say get up and speak doing a presentation anything like that their biggest concern is i want to i want to look good right yeah. i want people to like me you know very few <laughs> times is it uh I kind of hope I effectively get this communication. I hope people retain it. And the fact that, you know, you mentioned two out of 10, so 20% of the information actually gets yeah. retained after yeah. someone who's very, um, you know, charismatic and energetic yeah. and all those qualities you mentioned gets up there. It's, it really, I mean, that's, I'm putting myself, I'm just reflecting on myself, really. Like, okay, every time I've gotten up to speak, usually my goal is don't make a fool of yourself. Yeah. Usually people think, you know, nicely of me afterwards, not necessarily... I hope they retain the information. And that's a drastically different mind shift.
0: Um, it really is. And I, I think you're actually getting at an underlying principle that's very interesting. If you stand up with the thought in your mind, I want to look good. I want people to like me. I don't want to screw up. What was the common word in those three phrases? Me. I. I. Yeah. It's, that's what we call sender orientation, that your fundamental orientation is to yourself all great communicators, they have an audience centricity. They have a customer centricity. Um, I'll give you an example of how that really shows up in practice. Um, whenever I speak, the first thing out of my mouth, it almost without exception, is what is the audience or customer's problem that I'm here to solve? I, mm. I never allow, when I'm speaking on a platform, I never use my bio, I never say anything about myself, and I never allow myself to be introduced using my bio. I will stand up and say... Um, thanks for coming today. Great to be here. What are we going to be talking about? Communication is really, really hard and it is really, really important and we need to learn how to communicate better. And that's what it's, this is going to be about. Do you notice the pivot that that's no longer about me and my track record or history or credentials? No one's interested in that. What they're interested, people are interested in whether you can help them, whether you can help them solve their problems. And I think there is a big pivot there that when you stand up, you shouldn't be thinking about how do I look good? How do I sound smart? How do I come across? Now, you don't want to get up and look like a fool. You don't want to get up and trip over and drop your notes. But you know what? Honestly, if your content's great, a lot of that stuff will be forgiven. Success as a communicator. I mean, there are, there is four or five really critical pillars, one of them is a fundamental pivot uh, pivot to audience or customer centricity, which takes all the pressure off your performance.
1: People,
0: people will love uh, a quote unquote mediocre communicator if he or she is really delivering them value. Here's a problem you've got and here's how to solve it. And does it help if you're articulate and, and linguistically precise? In other words, you're using words well and efficiently. Yes, it does. And, are there certain aspects of delivery that matter? Yes. Curiously, we've done some studies here. No, no value to eye contact and body language. Completely irrelevant. Doesn't matter. There are certain things you can do stylistically to boost an audience's trust of you and their perceived credibility of you. But fundamentally, if you, 80% of getting communications right is message architecture based on audience-centricity.
1: Oh, that's great. So... Tim, I want to talk about really, really relevant stuff when it comes to communications. And and previous to recording, we were talking about some really important things that are going on now. And by now, I mean, today is October 20th, 2020. Who knows what October 21st will bring. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. This is, we're talking for today. And, you know, we mentioned that the current environment is very different. Um, you know, inflammatory. Uh, mm. You know, people are very sensitive. And then also we're on top, uh, a layer on top of that as we're doing everything virtually now. So, you know, the in-phase communications is no <laughs> longer available. So let's do, <laughs> yeah.
0: what do we do? Um, what do, we do? Uh, it's so interesting. Yeah, you, you've, you've raised, you've opened two separate Pandora's boxes there. Um, so let's take them. Let's take them one at a time. Firstly, it's an unbelievable time. Uh, probably the most interesting time in decades uh, from a communication standpoint. Um, the kind of topics that leaders are having to tackle today are—it's just a, a uniquely ugly cocktail. I mean, five years ago, there there wasn't that much that a leader had to deal with that was really hypersensitized. But look at today. If you're a leader today, uh, I was talking to all the speechwriters of um, uh, the top 50 university presidents, their speechwriters, and I've also some similar workshops for corporate leaders. Racial injustice, what's our position? What's our company's position? What happens if one of our branches or locations violates that? COVID, what's our response to COVID? What about layoffs and shutdowns and lockdowns? Um, uh, what's our political position? Are we going to align with, and I'm not going to get into politics, obviously, but boy, you want to touch a live electric rail, that would be that. Um, What's our environmental footprint? What's our carbon footprint? Um, How do we respond to sexual injustice and the Me Too movement? I mean, I just named five or six things there that are just unbelievably sensitive, and all leaders have to have a position, a personal or a corporate position on those things. And it's brutal because people are hypersensitized to these things I mean talking to uh, speech writers of university presidents I, I mean they have to add in sports programs, shutdowns, campus shutdowns it's a nightmare yeah. it's a there's not a topic they're discussing it's an inflammatory, and students will like protest about anything. I saw a protest in Stanford like hundreds of students protesting the fact they were going to bring in Panda Express. The China, and I'm like, what have they done wrong? I, I don't know. Maybe they do something very awful or not. I just don't know. But I'm like, it's an incredibly difficult environment, period. Now, point two, I now have to figure out how to communicate effectively, and I've got to do that in a virtual environment. And the way to think about a virtual environment is it amplifies the mistakes we were making in a live environment. Let me say that again. It amplifies the mistakes we were making in a live environment. <laughs> Now, most people misunderstand why virtual communication is hard. What they tend to think of is, I've just got to master the platform. Okay, I've got to do this as a Zoom or a WebEx. And, you know, does mastering a platform matter? Yes. Um, I'll be diplomatic in this uh, uh, anecdote, but as you may have seen a couple of days ago, um, I think it was a CNN uh, contributor Did not realise his Zoom camera was on. He thought it was off, and he started um, interacting with his own body in an inappropriate way. That is literally the most diplomatic. I mean, and and obviously he was seen on camera, and this is devastating. So, so do we need to figure out the platform? Yes, I mean, probably his issue was not the platform. The issue was what he was doing, but. But but I tell you what's interesting, Eric, that the real issue is not mastering a platform. That's table stakes. The real interesting thing about the virtual communications landscape is that it is completely socially sterile. It has a completely different set of social rules and social dynamics. What I mean by that is communication is an intensely social process. Um, you, you, very few professions have anything like that level of a sort of a social quotient. You go to your dentist, you can fall asleep. Dentistry will still happen. Um, you're, you're the guy or girl who does your tax return, right? You, know, you don't even have to be there. Just show up and sign it. Your tax return will be done. But communications is fundamentally a social process. It's a very delicate dance, particularly selling. For example, it's a very delicate dance between seller and buyer. Well, what's interesting is the social environment is, has such different social dynamics, and there are three. Number one is distraction. Your audience is fundamentally distracted. Mm. Um, people will be on Zoom or Webex, and especially if they're not showing their faces, they'll be checking their phone, they'll be doing email, watching, you know, streaming Big Bang Theory. So that communicator now has to get through. Um, a highly distracted environment. And uh, when I said earlier that the virtual environment amplifies mistakes, imagine that you were already tending to present too much information, which everybody does. Lots of slides, lots of data. We all pack too much in. Well, imagine what happens now if you do that in a highly distracted environment. You've got a recipe for absolute catastrophe. The second fundamental change in social dynamics is a reduction in intellectual bandwidth of the audience. Um, I sometimes say this, does your audience get stupid in a virtual environment? Kind of, yes. They don't actually get stupid, but you get a loss in intellectual bandwidth. There there are already studies on this, that the focus, the intensity of focus we have to put into a virtual meeting is so much higher than a live meeting that you get exhausted far more quickly. Um, So communicators have got to respond to that. You've got to radically simplify your messaging in a virtual environment. Um, Again, go back to my earlier example. If you have typically lots of slides, lots of content, lots of information, you might get away with that in a live environment. Truthfully, you're probably already over the limit you should be at. But if you bring anything like that into a virtual environment, you're just going to blow your audience's cognitive circuits. Mm -hmm. And we see this all the time. We see companies take their live presentations dump them into virtual and wonder why they're failing catastrophically. And usually it's just because they're blowing the mental circuits of their audience. And then the third, and I think this is the most interesting, they're all equally important, but to me the most interesting. The biggest challenge in my view of the virtual environment for the communicator is a complete loss of social feedback, social cues. Um, yeah. For example, the way we're doing this right now is over audio only, and we both shut off video to protect bandwidth. I understand that. But I can't see your face. You might be nodding in violent agreement or scowling in violent disagreement. Hmm. This is where communication is, is, is arguably at its best. If I'm a seller, and imagine I'm a seller, and I'm in a live room, and there's two or three people there, and somebody's really nodding and affirming my pitch, and I might say, Oh, Brian. Um, you know clearly you agree with this, and Brian's like, yeah, you know I, I came from a different company and we worked with you there and um uh that was it was really good, and we loved working with you i mean I, I know as a seller how to draw out that positivity and and use it to add momentum to the sale, or I see Sandra from finance scowling um or looking very skeptical like i'm gonna good sellers don't just see they respond, and they'll say." Sandra, you look clearly a little skeptical what's going on there. And she has maybe a misunderstanding or a legitimate objection. And you draw that out and you deal with it. The problem in a virtual world is you lose those social cues. And so um, the the word I'll often use is socially sterile. And that's where a lot of communication goes to die. Now, I, I won't be able to get into this in detail. There are things you can do that will completely resolve all three of those issues, distraction, loss of mental bandwidth, and loss of social cues. But most communicators have no idea what they should do. And they, what they do is they just try and pump a live meeting into a virtual environment, and, and it completely fails. So it's really interesting. I think the world is still trying to figure out how the virtual communications environment is different, and they haven't understood it yet because they still think it's about platform. Okay, how do I share my screen? How do I unmute? That's table stakes. The thing you've got to understand is how are the social dynamics different and how am I going to adapt to that? But let me close by giving, on this point by giving you a brilliant thought. Hmm. The biggest mistake you can make is to simply uh, – this is what everyone's doing, Eric. This is the most important theme of the, the, this, this riff. The biggest mistake people are making is trying to replicate the live meeting in the virtual environment. Let me say it again. They're trying to replicate the live meeting in the virtual environment. You can't do that. And the best metaphor is a stage play. If you're going to take a stage play and turn it into a film, your goal is not to replicate the stage play. You have to adapt it for the film. Do you see the difference? Yes. Your goal as a communicator is not to replicate your live presentation. You have to adapt it because just as the the rules of information transfer are different between a stage play and a film, the rules of information transfer are different between a live presentation, you know, coffee, you know, 10 people around a boardroom or a table or a thousand people at a conference. They're different in a virtual environment. And if you don't understand how to adapt. To the virtual environment you're going to fail and by the way this environment is here to stay this is here to stay this is going to be with us forever maybe not in its entirety but most messaging most communication most selling is going to stay in the virtual environment forever
1: wow there's there's so much to unpack there and <laughs> it makes it makes so much sense it really does and looking through these three and uh just for the record when you are talking i am nodding in agreement
0: and taking notes and
1: taking a lot of notes uh you know when you look at the the three things that you know are challenging that you mentioned you know the the distraction is pretty obvious uh, especially most most people working from home now probably have multiple screens up and mm-hmm. they're they're trying to do work as they're sitting through a meeting and we can talk about the ineffectiveness of meetings in corporate environments as well. That's yeah, that's yeah, a whole yeah. other topic. Uh, <clears throat> so distraction, loss of intellectual bandwidth, and and loss of social cues, and to be able to pick up you know uh, things that you would in a room. The number two is really interesting to me because I was reflecting on it as we're speaking. Like today, you know, I am seven to one p.m. basically on zoom, you know, mm-hmm. a team meeting, yeah. three mm-hmm. client calls, two podcasts. Um, I took 10 minutes to grab some food and by the end of the day, I feel like I'm exhausted and Absolutely. I can't do anymore. And, but I look at, it, I'm like, well, that's, that's not a, it's not a rough day, right? It's seven to one, Eric. Like, why are <laughs> you so tired at the end of the day? Yeah. And it wasn't like no. this when I was doing in-person, you know, work uh, as a, a trainer and a gym owner and yeah, you know, yeah. Coach yeah. In person. It wasn't this tiring.
0: It's really interesting. Funny enough, just before this call, uh, I had a team meeting with all my senior leaders, and we were talking about uh, finally nailing down, clarifying what is our core teaching curriculum. And our live training curriculum on message design and message delivery, I won't get into the details, essentially broke into 18 modules, like 10 modules on message design and eight modules on message delivery. And it's a breathtakingly good live class we teach this class at disney and ge and linkedin and ibm and so great in the virtual environment after testing multiple variants and this is what we were discussing today different tests we've done this cannot be done in more than 10 lessons because you get beyond people's bandwidth our course has had to sorry let me shut messaging down it's dinging at us Um, our course has had to be highly synthesized and distilled to 10 lessons. And when we teach it live, we teach it across two days of three and a half hour sessions, five lessons, five lessons. And the reason we've realized is you just run into bandwidth or, 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 you know, people are just, they've reached their limit at about three and a half hours, three to three and a half hours of teaching with five lessons of about 30 minutes each, so plenty of breaks. That's about 50% less content than would overwhelm them live. Mm. So it's a perfect example of, of how communicators have to adapt. And we were just whining and complaining in my previous meeting about how much really cool content we don't get to teach. But we, we sat back as a team and said, this isn't about what we want to teach. This is about what our audience has the bandwidth to consume. And the mental shift to say, I'm going to be governed by my audience's bandwidth, not by my desire to talk, is unbelievably hard. I mean, I find it hard, Like, but they have to understand message sequencing. And we decided that of all the things we teach, we don't get to teach anything that is not absolutely primary. So the course we have, I think, is absolutely amazing. Does it have everything in it I want it to have? No, but it stays within someone's intellectual bandwidth. Um, it's shocking. And, and by the way, right now, as you said, you've got multiple devices. Do you have kids? Do you have dogs? Do you have UPS drivers mm-hmm. delivering stuff? It's a very difficult environment. And this thing's, communicators <laughs> have to respond to that. Or they'll just be ineffective, and and they'll they'll think they've done an okay job, but their audiences will have learned nothing.
1: So, so what do we do, Tim? I mean, I, I look at, you know, the the fitness industry is such an, an interesting example because you know very few industries have been hit as hard as that one, where all of a sudden you're you're working with clients in person, you mean either one on one, small group, large group training, and then that's stripped away. Right. So everybody went to, well, I'm going to do Instagram live or I'm going to do Zoom workouts and Zoom sessions and that worked for a short period of time. And then, you know, we're nothing better came right now. Everyone's Mm -hmm. working on what does that look like next? And a lot of, you know, I think there was something like a a half a billion dollars has been invested in, you know, uh, streaming content services in the fitness industry. So it's changing. People are working on actively working on figuring it out. But you know, it's just, it. it's one aspect, like, so how do we, how do we take what we thrive on before, you know, nine months ago, eight months ago, which was in-person interactivity and how do we start to adjust it? What do you think the the future of this all looks like?
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's a great question. Funny enough, one of our board members uh, was the head of sales of one of the world's largest banks, but since retiring, he's become a, a strength and fitness trainer. In fact, I should introduce you to him because he's a fascinating guy. Me um, too but he really understands our model from his prior career. And he actually applies a lot of our, our of the lessons and the principles that we teach because he's now doing coaching virtually and over different sort of video instruction and stuff like that. I, I think I can actually give you three really practical things. I, I can't really unpack them. There are probably three things I would do to really be effective in, in this new environment. And they're, they're fairly simple. Two of them are simple. One of them is also simple, but I perhaps won't have time to unpack it. Um, The first one is double down. This is the 60 out of 100 points goes to this one. Double down on message architecture. Mm -hmm. Structure your message incredibly carefully. I I think we set it up well with our earlier conversation. Just because you want to say something, you don't get to say it if it's going to take you beyond your audience's bandwidth. So think about how you've structured your message and two or three critical hallmarks of great messaging. Make it thoroughly audience-centric. Give a distracted person a reason to lean in. If I started today by saying, well, I'm Tim and I'm really cool and this is my company and these are my books, you're like, you're already gone. If I stand up and talk about the challenges of communication, why it's hard and how, how virtual made it harder and why it's so important, you're much more likely to lean in. Another hallmark of that would be simplicity. Think about absolutely boiling and synthesizing your message down to its most important critical ideas and and dispense with anything secondary that's actually a rule for all communications because even a live meeting should work that way but in a virtual meeting i'm looking for an extraordinary degree of elegant simplicity audience centricity like hey here's the problem and here's how you solve it through the lens of a small number of ideas Um, the first book, I'm not trying to sell books, right. The first book I wrote was a book about message architecture. How do you construct a message that kind of penetrates the brain's defenses? The second thing I would say is, having built a great message, you've got to develop a greater discipline of preparation for that meeting, and particularly rehearsal. Um, why would I go there? Why would I go to rehearsal? Because. Think about a virtual presentation of any kind, virtual communication of any kind. It's so constrained. I've got to get my arrow through a much narrower window. And what that means is I have no room for linguistic sloppiness. If you and I are talking, Eric, and I take four sentences to articulate my thought well, I just don't have that kind of latitude. So you've really got to get to linguistic precision You know, I need to find the best possible way of articulating my argument. And that has to be what comes out of my mouth. Um, I look at most communicators in their mind. They probably have their idea fairly clear, but they have not grooved the language. I call this sometimes a muscle memory of the mouth. Um, and so it comes out of their mouth sort of sloppy and imprecise and their audience is like, well, what? I, I think I got that. So then they kind of go, well, well let me say that again. Let me, let me say that more clearly. And you're just burning time and you're burning the audience's mental energy. One of the things we've really focused on um, in consulting to our clients since COVID is the importance of linguistic precision. And you only get that by saying things out loud ahead of time, and letting your mind find that beautiful, elegant um, articulation, and then recreating that in the, the the meeting or the presentation itself. When you talk to sales guys about rehearsal, they'll look at you funny. Like, I, I know my story. I don't need to rehearse. I'm like, yeah, you do, because you do not have the language as precise as, as you need it to be. And then the third thing, and this is the one I won't get to unpack, is... Um, do you want to guess what the most common question we've been asked about communication is since COVID hit? Uh, You won't be able to guess, or you could guess, but it's this, how do I create trust? How do I create trust and credibility in a virtual environment? I mean, if you're, if you're a seller talking to a new customer, I mean, people buy things, but they buy from people. You need to be trusted. If you're a university, president or athletic director and you're talking to a parent about recruiting their student or talking to all parents about why the football programs shut down you have to have trust underpinning that because if i as the audience do not trust you i'm not going to trust anything that you say how do you build trust in a virtual environment and unfortunately i I can't unpack this it'll take too long but what we know from some research we've done is you can build trust, and what you the way you build trust is by communicating with a strong persona. And a strong persona has nothing to do with eye contact and body language and humor and dress. The, a strong persona can come from two places. Um, the right level of authority, have a degree of strength, take a position, hold a view, just be humble with it. But mm. people hate weak people. Uh, I'll give you an example. you've ever been to a restaurant and you say to the waiter, hey, what's good? And the waiter says, it's all good. You hate that guy. (laughs) Because because he's not helping. He's not taking a position. So be willing to be reasonably strong as a communicator. Hold, take a view. Take a stand. Hold a view. But just be willing to understand that the audience or customer can do what they want ultimately with, with your conclusions. But people respect strength. They hate weakness and they hate a bully. So you need to... Fall nicely in the midpoint of the strength axis. That's authority. The second one is authenticity. If you are highly inauthentic, in other words, people can't see who the real human being is behind the mask, you will not be trusted. Um, I'll give you a great example from American political history, and let me be very clear I'm not making a political point, right? I'm not making a political point. But Hillary Clinton it was legendary that that people did not perceive they ever really could see the person behind the mask. She 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 revealed nothing of her inner person or humanity. And it was well noted and observed by lots of observers before me that, that people didn't trust her as a result. I don't know what's behind the mask. So if you're low on authenticity, you won't be trusted. You could become too high on authenticity, uh, which is just what we call oversharing. So... Hey, Eric, it's great to be on the podcast. Sorry I'm late. I've got this weird rash on my back. Let me show you that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. So again, the extremes on the authenticity axis are unhelpful. But if you're in the middle, in other words, reveal some of your personal humanity, that has a tremendous impact on driving up trust. And and in fact, what we know from some research is in a post-COVID world, it's more okay than it used to be to reveal a little bit about yourself. I had a meeting last week with a very senior executive um, and it was a video call and he had a 2-year-old on his lap and it was charming and it wasn't a year ago I probably would have thought well wow, that's a bit weird this time round oh great what a great little guy what's his name and and we had a great meeting and that was just a good example I think of how personal authenticity is now more acceptable than it used to be. So if you imagine imagine a crosshairs, right? Imagine crosshairs, two axes intersecting uh, like a cross. If you can sit on the middle part of authority and the middle point of authenticity, we call that A squared. So a decent level of authority without being a bully and a decent level of um, authenticity without showing people a rash, that's a great place to be in terms of developing trust and credibility. So I actually did get to unpack that cuz you you let me go. So anyway, yeah, it's um, awesome. <laughs> strong message architecture, linguistic precision, and a persona that sits on the midpoint of those axes and that will go a tremendous distance to building your strength as a communicator in today's world.
1: I love it. I love having a formula too and it, it is interesting <laughs> that you know from a sales standpoint cuz you know I've really you know, I've done a lot of things, but I've always been selling. If you're in business for yourself, you're always selling. And, and so uh-huh. much of really it comes down to, you know, that continuum where they got to know you, like you, and trust you. And trust mm-hmm. is, is an interesting thing. It can be earned in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, I do believe that referrals have always been extremely valuable to any business, but getting a referral in the virtual world is absolutely critical. Yeah, um, you know, it's, yeah. people are looking to connect, but they don't know how to do it in the old way. So they ask other people, Hey, who do you know who does what? Or have yeah. you ever heard of a company that does this? And you know, all that referrals are really strong and it's, it's interesting. Uh, I was taking it and noticing, and you'll probably find this interesting, Tim, is my wife is in a corporate, she, uh, she's a director of operations for a large, uh, marketing agency and, Mm -hmm. you know, hearing some overhearing our conversations, you know, as I'm cooking breakfast or doing whatever, (laughs) you know, people are starting to, the virtual age is actually opening up different avenues of communication and bonding with other people you know now i heard some guy say something to my wife about oh you know it's so interesting always having seen how you live virtually for the last three years and how you sell these places i actually do this for my family right and then you know someone's dog runs Mm -hmm. by in the back oh you have a dog yeah right like it's 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 kind of it's people are kind of coming into each other's homes in a virtual way which is of course on the flip side we talk about the cnn guy not good,
0: right? But <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, in other yeah, ways, yeah. people
1: are getting um having a really interesting opportunity to bond in different ways,
0: but yes, and I think I think that takes us back to our earlier point that that's why you can't just try and replicate a live meeting, you've yes. got to understand how different the environment is. I mean, for example, as we've said, um, a little more opening up of your humanity is acceptable. You are talking to people in their homes. I was talking to the, the head of sales effectiveness of Rockwell Automation, a wonderful, amazing woman. And I know her quite well. I know her, her kids are running in and out. And that's just life as we know it. Um, I'll give you another example. In, in most, boy, this would be fun to get into, in most communication, what you really need to achieve is what's called retellability. Let me explain that. I might be selling to somebody. And that meeting goes well, but that's not the most important meeting. There's another meeting later that you don't get to be invited to where the person you've met with is talking to the buying group, the executive committee, the operations committee, whatever it is. And the standard for messaging, by the way, is not first meeting success, it's second meeting success. So you need to build messaging that's not just engaging for that person, but it's messaging that they can retell, which is gonna drive us right back to simplification, and audience centricity and and things like that. Well, one of the most interesting things we're seeing now in the virtual world is more of the buying group is showing up in the first meeting because when it was live, they probably aren't even in that city. So I might go, let's imagine I'm selling, pick a company name at random, Walmart, no, not Walmart, just anyone, IBM. I might have a meeting with a person at IBM The decision makers are all over the world, so they're never going to be in that meeting. But what I'm noticing now is I'm having meetings with companies like IBM, and there's guys from Europe and a woman from New Zealand and some folks from the India office, and the whole buying group is now on the Webex or the Zoom call. So that's a completely different dynamic that I now might Get to engage all the people I wanted to engage. There's actually already some data that more members of the buying group are showing up. Hmm. Um, and, and so I, I could list you ways in which the virtual environment is substantially different. And we've sort of got to understand that. And then we've got to adapt for it rather than I said, just try and replicate a live meeting. That's completely wrong way to think about it.
1: I love it. Tim, this has been really valuable. I could actually go on for another hour and talk about this, but we uh, are—I want to respect your your time here. Understood. Yeah, it's it's super interesting, and it's it's such a unique way. You know, when people think about communications as a a genre, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. It's it's commonly misunderstood. You know, people think about maybe you know releasing some sort of you know communications paper about you know a particular release of a product Mm -hmm. or something like that. That's when people think about communicating. People don't really understand that it's everything we do. It's, yeah. it's everything we do and uh yeah. it's so critical so i guess let's let's end with this tim where, where where do people find you tell us about your books uh your website give us the goods man where do people go sure,
0: yeah uh, so the company's Aratium, um o-r-a-t-i-u-m um there's a couple of books on communication it's a matched pair the first book's on message design the second book's on message delivery um The first one's called The Compelling Communicator and the second one's called Mastering the Moment. Uh, Honestly, though, I think the coolest thing we've done recently, because the books were written pre-COVID, obviously, um, I think the coolest thing we have right now is this 10-lesson e-learning called uh, Designing and Delivering the Virtual Sales Conversation. Um, And and don't be put off by the fact it's a sales orientation because um, every conversation, if you think about it, is in some measure a sales conversation. I might be pitching a budget to my boss. That's the sale. I might be pitching, you know, I need the team to rally in this tough season we're in. That's a sales conversation. Um, I might be talking to a donor because uh, uh, I'm trying to get some support for my nonprofit. Um, or if you think about it, any time you're trying to create change in someone else, which is really all communication, like a sermon is that, you are honestly what you're doing is selling. I don't mean selling in a negative way like car sales, but I think you're trying to explain to people there's a problem and then to show them how that problem gets solved. So we've had tons of people enroll in this um, e-learning and um, absolutely been loving it. It's a 10 lesson e-learning. It's about a little bit of framing and then sort of five lessons on message design and, and four lessons on message delivery. Um, I don't know if you can do this, but if you want some sort of friends and family code through the the podcast, well, I will happily do that. Because I'm not trying to sell e-learning. I mean, that'd, our, that'd be great. It's is, yeah, is largely be. corporate. But people would really enjoy that. And it's, as I said, it's not about selling. It's about how do you communicate well um, in, a, in a virtual environment. Um, so it'd be fun if some of your... Um, listeners are in situations where they're trying to develop persuasive communications and they're now trying to figure out how to do that in a, in a virtual environment um i can send you there's a there's a link if you want to put it in the the, the follow-up or whatever there's a link on our website to the, the the resource and we can figure out some sort of code if you people would like to to get it because our i said our know our business is large corporates but it'd be be fun to um, support because i know you do this a lot is support montana where i also live is you know, support any Montana businesses or individuals that would like to go that route.
1: That'd be fantastic. We'll, um, we'll, we'll talk offline and we'll put it in the show notes Mm -hmm. people. So you'll, you'll have something there along with a link and yeah, Tim, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been super interesting. I've learned a ton and, uh, hopefully, you know, if I've learned something, I think the audience has too. So I appreciate your time.
0: Lovely, not at all. It was such a, such fun being here. Thanks for the great conversation. Um, enjoy this crazy season as we go into winter.
1: Yeah, exactly. You too. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, Tim Pollard. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it. Whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever, it may be. I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did, so please go ahead and share it, and that's how we get the word out, so it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me, let me know what you're thinking, uh, make an introduction, whatever it may be. You can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level 5 Lastly, if you just want to chat, you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond Podcast. And you can expect a lot more from us.